queens, welcome to Dose of Deception with the queens of queens, Shannon and Emily. Join our true crime family where we discuss murders, missing persons cases, mysteries, and a whole lot of conspiracy theories. So stay tuned for the wild ride. Hey queens, welcome back to Dose of Deception. Before we get into the episode today, like usual, we just want to, if you're a new listener, let you know what we do on this show. For the first half, Emily comes in with a murder mystery, a missing person case, any true crime topic, and we discuss that. And then in the second half, I come in with a conspiracy theory that we talk about. Also, before we get started, we just want to let you know about our different social media accounts. Our Instagram is at Dose of Deception, and we also have a Facebook group where we like to interact with people also at Dose of Deception. So Emily, what case are we starting with this week? So today we're going to be talking about the accidental death of Paulette Habara. Okay. And she was a four-year-old girl who's from Mexico. Oh, I hate the ones that we have to talk about when it's a kid. A kid, yeah. <laughs> it always makes it, me so sad. It's a really sad one, but people uh, refer to it as the Mexican JonBenet Ramsey case. Because oh, okay. Because it's kind of in that weird situation where it was a technically an accident, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. Well, I have strong feelings on John Bonet Ramsey's oh, case, okay. so we'll Maybe see I'll if I have strong that. feelings on this one. I think you will. You should, because I feel very strongly about John Bonet Ramsey's case, but we'll talk about that some other time. Okay, I'll definitely cover it then. <laughs> but it is very similar in the sense where uh, it's technically ruled an accident, but everything does not add up to an mm-hmm. accident. So let's just get into um, who she was. So Paulette was born on July 20th, 2005, in Mexico City. And honestly, I don't even know my opinion, whether this is a murder mm. or an accident. Um, because, well, we'll I'll get into her disappearance first, because technically for a very short period of time, it was considered a disappearance. Oh. Yeah. So during the late hours of Sunday, March 21st, 2010, so it's pretty recent, only 2010, yeah. um, Paulette arrives home. So she was initially on vacation with her father and her sister, mm-hmm. and they were about two hours away from their home. Their mother was back at the house. Um, and so they arrived home, and apparently Mauricio is the father's name. Okay. He drops off the kids. Now, her sister and her mother are both named Lizette. So in order to like stop the confusion, I'll call the seven-year-old little Lizette, okay. and then the mother I'll just call Lizette. And Paulette was four years old, so she it was her older sister, Lizette. Mm-hmm. Paulette's mother, Lizette, also said she was having a weekend away with a friend. Now, people speculate about this. This is all hearsay, so I'm not sure if she really was with her friends, but a lot of people um, say that were close to the family say that their marriage was suffering, and Lizette was actually spending the weekend with her, another partner that she had. Mm. So once they arrived home, Lizette said that she put the children to bed and she kissed them on the head. That's what she remembers doing. And then she left the room and it was a normal night. Now, the children did have two nannies to care for them. So, yeah, they because I, well, I'll get into it later, but Paulette, um, she was uh, really disabled. Mm. So she had to have eyes on her at all times, pretty much. Yeah. So they did have two nannies and their names were Erica and Martha and they were sisters. And they actually lived with the family so that they could take care of Paulette. So the following morning, Monday, March 22nd. 2010, and this was at 8 a.m., Erica went into Paulette's room to wake her up in the early morning hours, and to her dismay, Paulette was not in bed. Mm. Now, Paulette had um, severe language disability, so she could only say a few words at a time. Mm. She could not form sentences, but she can say what she had to, like, water or hungry. Yeah. Words that, like, you knew what she wanted, but she mm-hmm. could not form sentences, and she also could not walk by herself at all. Mm. So the fact that she wasn't in bed was a little suspicious yeah. unless somebody else took her out of bed. Erica claims that she immediately told Lizette and that they searched throughout the entire building. However, it is important to note that the two nannies, so Martha and Erica, were freaking out. They were looking around the whole building. Mm. And Mauricio and Lizette 
allegedly, this is all from word of mouth, yeah. they were sitting at the table and just drinking coffee and just kind of hanging out, not really freaking out or looking for Paulette as much as the other two. Very weird. It's weird. And now people say, you know, you can't say if something traumatic happens, everyone responds different. They might have just been in shock still, but I feel like your no. natural instinct would be to look. If that's your kid, absolutely you go look for them. And now Mauricio actually called his sister and said Paulette's missing. So they didn't even call the police, the parents. Mm. Mauricio's sister got in touch with authorities because she was freaking out too. Yeah. And she, so yeah, so he, he calls her first before even going to the police. Which weird. I know. Um, now, authorities were notified right away, and so an investigation into Paulette's disappearance began promptly. After the initial search of their apartment building, the, fl- the family claimed that she had just vanished. And there was no signs of kidnapping or robbery. Okay, but she can't walk. She can't walk. So, so she well, the literally family, couldn't have left the bed without someone taking her. I know, and the family initially said she was kidnapped. However, the locks on the windows and doors were untouched, and there was no way that authorities believed that a perpetrator could have entered the building mm. without, one, leaving evidence behind, yeah. and two, they got the security cameras, and there was no sign of anybody or even Paulette going in or out of the building. So clearly, mm. it didn't seem like a kidnapping. Yeah. Since she was only four, it was very unlikely that she obviously got up and left without um, being seen by anyone. And like I said, she had a language and a motor disability, so it would be impossible for her to get around alone for a long period of time. So basically, I believe she could take a few steps at a time, mm-hmm. but then she would fall or she would just need to like hold on to somebody. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so she, she obviously didn't just get up and leave, which is crazy for people to think that. Yeah, that's, if it's literally not possible for yeah. her to do that, then obviously that's not a possibility. Now, that same day, in the afternoon, the Attorney General of Mexico released posters with Paulette's photo and information about her disabilities and her age on it. And her supposed disappearance spread like wildfire. What further prompted the spread of her disappearance was when Lizette's sister, Arlette, posted the news to social media in hopes of locating and returning Paulette home quicker. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like this, all the aunts and uncles, the nannies, yeah. were freaking out, but the parents kind of were not. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. That same evening, Lizette went on camera to speak about Paulette's disappearance. So everything happened really quickly in this case. Like, it was pretty much in the matter of a day that they were yeah. on the news. But it was because, um, I'll get into this a little bit later once we get into the theories, mm-hmm. But the attorney general of Mexico at the time was actually close with Mauricio. They were friends. Mm, okay. So that's why they were able to spread it faster, but yeah. also that could be why any kind of cover-up could have happened. Yeah. It is also, I'll just note this, the family was very well-off financially. Um, Lizette was a lawyer, and Mauricio was a successful businessman. Mm. So they weren't just like a random family in Mexico. They were wealthy enough where people knew them. Yeah. A body analyst studied uh, Lizette's movements when she was doing this news thing Mm -hmm. and her behavior during this interview and determined that, although everyone responds to stress differently, Lizette was speaking in a way that indicated that this was a routine. And it did not seem to be speaking with any emotion, the way that her, I guess, like, I'm not really, you know, good at analyzing that. Yeah. But the way her, like, eyebrows were moving or her lips, they were saying that it wasn't showing a real sadness. It was more like a forced one. Mm. Um, And it kind of looks, because I did watch the video, it looks kind of more like she's giving a speech. Mm. So, I don't know. Obviously, everyone responds different, but I don't know. If it seems super rehearsed, that's not the kind of speech that you give right after something like that happens. And people started getting suspicious by some of the comments that she was making. So, just a few of them. She said, on TV, she says this, she said, maybe Paulette was taken by aliens or by Harry Potter, which is so rare. Why would you say that? If what? your daughter is missing, I feel like I would not even be, like, making jokes. No. You would be looking for realistic answers. And the most concerning comment that people found was when Lizette said, even if I lose Paulette, I still have another daughter. Yikes. Yeah. She, she says that on camera. So people were like, uh, what's That's, going on here? Yeah, I don't like that at all. I know. 
So on the news um, footage, Lizette asked the abductor to return Paulette, and she said that there would be no questions asked, even if they left her somewhere in public. So just give my daughter back, pretty much, that's what she was saying. She went on to distribute more flyers and even placed um, ads on TV in public areas like train stations and bus stops to try to get more people to see her. Mauricio also spoke in the media, and he claimed that he had left for work in the early morning hours of March 27- 22nd, I'm sorry, and everything seemed normal. The family was placed under a restriction order due to their changing stories and inconsistencies with information regarding Paulette and what happened the day she disappeared. Mm-hmm. And also the two nannies were also placed uh, under a restriction order, mm-hmm. which basically meant that they had to um, go, they pretty much were keeping them in a motel. Okay. So if they couldn't have contact with anyone else. That makes sense. They couldn't, you know, do anything sketchy. That's fair. Yeah. So this was an active missing persons case that people were putting all their money, energy, and time into. Yeah. And they really just thought someone took her and she would come back now this is where it gets crazy Mm. paulette's body was found on march 31st 2010 at two o'clock a.m and you know where it was found where it was discovered in her bed no stinking way her body was in her bed how's that possible well her body was tangled in a sheet and they said that she had fallen between... So her bed was made of, like, a wooden frame. Okay. Which, first of all, her bed was not... It was made... I believe it was um, custom-made for her to make to look like a ship. Okay. However, it was not, like, accessible for her with disabilities because yeah. the nanny said that they had to put her between two, like, big body pillows every night. Yeah. Just so that she wouldn't hurt herself. Mm-hmm. Um, so they basically said she got tangled in the sheets and she got stuck between um, the bed frame and the mattress okay. and then suffocated. But how does nobody find her for nine days? I don't... Oh, we're getting into it. <laughs> I don't understand. This is a crazy story. But also, I was um, just thinking this. If Even if I were to try that, because she, she couldn't move her legs very well. Yeah. So I'm assuming if she did fall or, like, pull herself down and get stuck, uh-huh. she was doing it with her arms. Yeah. Or even if, even if she could move her legs a very small amount, I feel like the two body pillows and everything else, like the sheets and everything... Oh, for sure. ...would be on the floor or just messed up. A hundred percent, because also, if she's trying to lift herself up, yeah. she'd be pulling on sheets, so the sheets would be off. Anything like that, the bed wouldn't be made. Yeah, and I feel like I would even, like, pull... Even if I was doing it in my legs, like, everything would be off the bed around me. Yes. So it's kind of weird. Also, if you noticed, I said that her body was discovered at 2 a.m., right? How was it discovered at 2 a.m.? Well, um, it was discovered by authorities at 2 a.m., and people were saying, that's a weird time for you to just go investigate. You know, yes. you do it in the day, right? Yes. So it seems very staged because the authorities actually put out a video of finding her body. Now... When I first watched this, I thought it was a reenactment. It's not. So if you watch the video, it is on YouTube. It's accessible. Um, But it's actually them finding her. So, you know. If you're sensitive to that kind of thing, understandable. I wouldn't recommend. Yeah. So basically, they release a video. And when when they start, they go right to the bed and find her pretty much. So please. So they were saying, uh, this seems kind of staged. (laughs) And basically, in the video, you can hear one of the investigators saying she was severely beaten. However, the attorney general also, um, who was friends with Mauricio, denies this, said, no, she wasn't beaten. This was accidental. And so, naturally, if the investigator said she was beaten, I would say she was too. Mm -hmm. However, they did an autopsy, and it revealed that Paulette's body had not been tampered with at all after her death. So where she died was where she died, pretty much. Now, this video was actually a forensic video in which a team of experts enter Paulette's room at 2 a.m. and go straight to her bed, like I said. They first reveal what appears to be bloodstained sheets, and then they go on to reveal her body. Um, now, initially, people thought it was bloodstains. However, m- most likely it could be decomp because she was mm-hmm. there for nine days. Yeah. 
So it's not, you know, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I'm going to assume it wasn't blood, though. Yeah, well, if they're saying she died just from being strangled, yeah. it wouldn't have been blood, odds are. Also, it seems like a staged reenactment, and people pointed that out, um, because no one shows any surprise at finding her body. And they also, like I said, go, went straight to the bed, and they had the, like, they had the camera positioned perfectly to find her. Mm-hmm. And one expert, like I said, is heard saying that she looks beaten badly, but there was no evidence of this in the autopsy report, and it was also denied by attorney, the Attorney General of Mexico. Who ended up resigning after this case, which mm, is interesting. Convenient. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, according to coroner reports, Paulette's body did not appear to be touched or moved, and the official findings of the autopsy found no evidence of physical or sexual uh, violence, and there was also no trace of drugs in her system. The coroner also put her death anywhere from five to nine days prior to when her body was found. Mm. So she was in the bed. For, you're going to tell me she was in the house. For nine days. And nobody found her beforehand. Wouldn't you smell a de- decomposing body? 100%. Also, they had dogs. They had two dogs. 100% they would. No, no, the dogs didn't act like she was there or anything. Um, and also, this indicates that she most likely had died on the day she was believed to have gone missing. Yeah. Since her body was not moved after her death, her official cause of death was asphyxiation, with authorities declaring that Paulette fell headfirst into the bottom part of her bed, and because of her motor impairments, she was unable to get out. She then suffocated from the blankets, and her body remained there unnoticed and untouched for nine days until it was found. My first thought is, didn't authorities check the bed first? That's where she went missing from. Wouldn't that be the first place that you looked? A hundred percent that should be the first place. And it's not like they would just look at the top of the bed and be like, oh, she's not there, and then just move on. They're going to look, look. Yeah, I know. Also, they also had an excuse for the decomposing body, because that's my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, investigators claim... That the blankets were very heavy, and since she was so wrapped up in it, it blocks the smell. Um, whatever. Come on. However, there was also a urine stain that most likely happened when she, like, died. Yeah. Um, so, wouldn't the dogs, at least, have smelled some kind of odor from that? Yeah. Even if you're not, they're not trained to find that specific smell. Yeah. They're still dogs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they have strong senses of smell for any kind of smell like that. I know. Now, although the media and authorities were very suspicious of Lizette and Mauricio, yeah. uh, a judge actually granted freedom from their restriction order for Paulette's parents and the nannies on April on April 4th, um, claiming that them being kept there with no evidence of their involvement was unconstitutional. And so they were able to leave the motel then and just... I mean, I guess that part's fair, because yeah. if they don't have the evidence to leave them, like, that's anything. You can't hold somebody in case you have... unless you have evidence of it. Yeah. So I can understand that. Now, the next day, on April 5th, while in interviews with authorities, Lizette and Mauricio started accusing each other of Paulette's death. So they, oh. turn, they turn right on each other. Okay. Um, Lizette believed that Mauricio blamed her for Paulette's death, and Mauricio said that he did not fully trust his wife and denied that her death was an accident. I also think it might have been because he knew she might have been cheating on him, so it might have mm. just been like an angry thing. Yeah. Um, now, the following day after that, on April 6th, 2010, Paulette was buried, and Lizette actually planned out the whole funeral mm-hmm. for her daughter. Mauricio immediately went for custody of little little Lizette, mm-hmm. who was seven years old at the time, because he did not trust um, older Lizette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he, she had actually been staying with him since April 4th. However, on May 10th, after Lizette filed a complaint against him, demanding custody of their other daughter, she was granted custody. Mm. Which I think is cr- a little weird. I don't know, though. I mean, at this point, they don't think that either of them have any involvement I, whatsoever, true. so they can't even bring this case into the custody part of it. Yeah. Now, the craziest part was that, like um, like I said, she was not found for nine days. Mm-hmm. And a woman by the name of Amanda De La Rosa 
who was a close friend of Lizette, actually stayed in the home for a few days after her disappearance, after Paulette's disappearance, and she had slept in Paulette's bed since it was the only one empty. Uh, she told authorities that the nannies made Paulette's bed every morning and nobody noticed her body at the foot of the bed or the dirty sheets that she was wrapped in. That doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't at all. I don't understand that. Wouldn't you feel something at the foot of the bed? Yes, and if you're cleaning the sheets, even if you don't go anywhere near where the body is, don't you notice all of the dirty sheets at the bottom? That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Wouldn't you pick those up because you're putting new sheets on? Yeah, and they actually did a reenactment of the nannies making the bed to mm-hmm. see if maybe they wouldn't be able to find her. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's 50-50 in this case. So 50% of people would say, oh, no, you can't see her. It could have easily been missed. Mm-hmm. For me, I don't see that. I, I feel like the way that they were doing it, you could see all the, the yeah. frame and everything. So I don't understand how you can make the bed and not find her body. Mm. Now, a recording was released between Lizette and Little Lizette, and in the recording, this made her seem a little bit suspicious, because you can hear Lizette telling her daughter to not speak about Paulette's disappearance. So this was before they found her body. Mm-hmm. Um, Paulette's seven-year-old sister is heard asking, why, Mom? And Lizette replies, because otherwise they will blame us for stealing her, or say that you took her away to be stolen. So she was sort of placing the, ba- the blame on Little Lizette. Yeah. Which is weird. The most chilling aspect of this case, for me, was from a 2010 interview Lizette did only a few days before Paulette's body was found. Mm-hmm. In this interview, Lizette and the interviewer are sitting on Paulette's bed. And this is before she's found. So, if, no her, body, way. if her body really wasn't tampered with, like in the autopsy reports, she was at the foot of the bed the entire time that they were doing the interview. No way. I know. It's just no way. I don't that get it. all of these people have come into contact with this bed, and not a single one of them. Yeah. There's just no way. I don't, I don't buy it. Now, when Paulette was found, uh, she was actually wearing blue and red pajamas with reindeers on them. Mm-hmm. Now, during the interview, Lizette is showing the cameras and interviewer some of Paulette's belongings, like her stuffed animals and toys. And on the bed next to her, you can see the same pair of red and blue reindeer pajamas. Mm. Which... Is a little weird, but also she, maybe she just had two pairs. But you'd think that, or, or maybe no, no, but maybe it was the other sister's. Pajamas. I guess it could be. Now people were saying that, but you'd think that she would just come out and say, "Oh yeah, Lizette had one too." Yeah. But also, I don't think unless because they were saying that she most likely really did die the day that she went missing. Yeah. So I don't think they would like change her. So I'm assuming that that's what she was just in when she died. Yeah. So I don't really know why there was another pair of pajamas there. I don't know either because if she died in her pajamas whether it was accidental or not there's no need to change the pajamas that she was in it doesn't make sense to me none of this makes sense but those pajamas are in the video yeah well apparently paulette's in the bottom of the bed yeah the whole time um now basically that's all the evidence that they have in this case and seven years went by with paulette being buried um and now uh, investigators started to believe that there was no longer anything they could do or any other evidence that could be found mm-hmm. so she was officially cremated on may 3rd 2017 so there now there's really nothing that they can do yeah I mean, at this point, I strongly feel that this is not an accident. Really? Yes. I go back and forth between accident or murder. To me, it's like 95% not an accident, 5% accident. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. Uh, so I'm going to get into the theories of it, which there are a lot of theories. None of, like, they all make sense, but they don't. there's not one theory that covers everything, yeah. which is so frustrating. So like I said earlier, it came out that Mauricio and the Attorney General of Mexico were close at the time. So it would make sense if maybe he was covering for Mauricio a little. And although uh, Mauricio and Lizette were both very successful in their careers, it did come out that the family was struggling financially and were having trouble affording their apartment because they lived in a really nice apartment. 
Uh, Paulette's medical bills added up, and considering how Mauricio and Lizette acted with little emer- with little uh, emotion and urgency after the nannies told them Paulette was missing, it kind of would make sense, I guess, if her her bills were too much, so yeah. they figured they would make money off of, I don't know, her death? I don't really yeah. know how to say it. I mean, even if it is accidental, yeah, they still could have been like, okay, well, I guess here's my shot. The other theory, which I don't believe at all, but I'm just going to say all of them, is that the nannies did it. So I, I don't believe this one because the nannies were being paid well and they were actually sisters, so they were working together and mm-hmm. just uh, they were just had a good life. And they also loved Lizette and Paulette and they were like part of the family. Yeah. Um, they also were honest with the police and they actually tried to get the case reopened after it was ruled an accident. Okay. Standing by their belief that there was no way a body was in the bed while they were making it. So going back to the financial issues, maybe, this is another theory, Mauricio and Lizette kidnapped Paulette and hid her in a confined space, fully planning on going back to get her because they knew she couldn't walk. So they were just going to say, wherever you put her, she has to stay. Yeah. They figured they could profit off the case and get themselves out of the financial debt. And since Paulette cannot walk, it would be easy to keep her somewhere confined. Mm-hmm. Maybe they left her there for too long and she died. Uh, and to avoid getting in trouble, they put her in the bed and made it look like an accident. So could actually she could have actually accidentally died. Yeah. Um, but also, they, maybe they didn't expect to get so much attention off this case. Yeah. So they couldn't really bring her back afterwards. Uh, all of these theories, though, don't really explain how her body was not moved after she died. Yeah. In it, the coroner report. It's so... Basically, that one is that they tried to hide her away while they said, oh, she's gone, and then she... They so were they gonna could have make her reappear. Yeah. But then how... How are you gonna make her reappear? I know. If she can't move. I know. <laughs> so, if she had survived that, and she... So she might have, they might have taken her and kidnapped her and put her somewhere and she accidentally died there. Mm -hmm. That's the only way that that was going to end successfully for the two of them. Because if she was alive and magically reappeared, well then they want, there's no answers for them to give. Yeah. Now another theory is that little Lizette uh, accidentally killed Paulette. Mm. Because, um, like I said, they were on vacation with their father and they had come back that night. Mm -hmm. Maybe some, something broke out between Mauricio and Lizette if he found out that she was really staying with uh, her partner. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they were arguing and Paulette was screaming and crying. And so little Lizette was trying to comfort her and accidentally, I don't know, suffocated her. Mm. That's what people believe. Um, honestly, there's no evidence of this, but it is a theory. Yeah. I can see why somebody could put that together. And maybe they were just trying to protect her. So they pretend like it was an accident or it was an accident, but maybe that's why they put her in the bed and pretended like it was an accident. Yeah. But then where was her body for nineties? I don't know. Cause it sure as hell wasn't in that bed for nine days. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's really all the theories. I'd say the two most popular ones is that Lizette killed her because of the financial burden that she was. Yeah. And the other one is that she just died naturally in her bed of asphyxiation. Well, it's not that one. <laughs> it's not that one. Why? Somebody does not. That's just not possible that all of those people, all the authorities, yeah. the parents, the sister, the maids, the friend, the all of those people, the interviewer, yeah. not all of those people can be in on this and it be okay Mm -hmm. so you because you can make a big scandal or scene like that but somebody is gonna break at some point so but what do you think happened then and also how do you explain that her body wasn't moved because that's the part that throws me off because all these theories i could get behind but as soon as i said her body wasn't moved i was like that's weird like her body wasn't moved from from where where she died died. well one that i feel like that does eliminate the one that her sister accidentally killed her yeah because her sister if she was just trying to comfort her and accidentally did that she wouldn't have been at the bottom of the bed like that Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't really believe the sister one. I don't really believe the maid one either. Especially because you said that they tried to reopen the case. And yeah, if you're did. guilty, you're not going to try to reopen the case if you already got away with it. 
a hundred percent the parents did do you think it was her. just Lizette or do you think it was both because most people don't think Mauricio had anything to do with it really yeah but he's the one that has the connections to the authorities yeah I guess and I mean I guess that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing that's just why it got a lot of publicity mm-hmm. so it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing that he had those connections yeah but it's something it, it has to be one of the two of them so what do you think yeah but how do you think it wasn't moved that's the part that I don't get I would have originally said that it, it's possible for her to have died there still and not have been moved, but they would have just put her there the night before she was magically discovered at 2 a.m. But since she'd been there for five to nine days, that's the part that I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand it either. It can't be accidental. There's just no stinking way that that many people interact with it and it, it's not discovered. I know. It's just a weird case. And with Maurice... Even if he did have some involvement in the case, what he might have done is realize that the media was looking at Lizette as the villain Mm -hmm. or, you know, the person that did it. And he just jumped on that bandwagon and basically said, yeah, I think she is suspicious. So that it took some attention off of him. Yeah, true. I also am curious because um, little Lizette was seven at the time. So now Mm -hmm. that was in 2010. So she'd be like 17, 18. Right. I want to know if she has anything to say, like that if she knew anything that happened behind closed doors, you know? I mean, I think she has to have some kind of suspicion when her mom said, don't talk about the case. Yeah, I would love to hear, though, what she has to say. She hasn't done any interviews or anything. Yeah, it's not the weirdest thing for her to say because she could just not want little Lizette to be involved with the media. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it paints her in a bad light. But that is something odd. Mm -hmm. And Lizette does have to be thinking, oh, something weird is happening and she doesn't have all the answers for it. Mm Mm-hmm. There's just no stinking way. (laughs) Part for me that I was like, oh, damn, was when she said that she has another daughter, so, like, whatever. What does that mean? For me, because that was when she was just disappeared. For me, that makes me feel like she knew she was dead. Yeah. So she was like, she knew it would come out eventually. So maybe, so maybe the, Lizette knew that the body was at the end of the bed and just didn't say anything about it? Maybe. Because it wouldn't be tampered with, so they couldn't say she did it or anything. Yes. So that would still make it, I guess, accidental. Mm -hmm. But then she just left the body at the end. But why would you do that? Well, yeah, why would you do that? I don't know. Maybe because of the money and the publicity they would get from it. I guess. But, I mean, I guess all publicity is good publicity. Yeah. But that you're not going to get any financial gain from that. Yeah. I don't think the nannies did it. No. I don't think the sister did it. So I, I don't think it's an accident. Yeah. I, well, weird. I don't think it's an accident that someone didn't know about before nine days. Okay, so you think that they... Might have known about it, but then they just left it. They could have known about it and then told the friend about it, the attorney general, so that they could paint it as this long accident mm-hmm. to just help Mauricio out. Maybe. And then Amanda slept in the sinking bed with her in it. It's so terrifying. Because if this truly was an accident, she just slept with her yes. in the bed. So, but also if the mom mm-hmm. knew about it... Mm-hmm. And told the friend, why would the friend say, okay, I'm still going to sleep in her bed? Yeah, I know. And also, like, I feel, because Paulette was very small. She was actually really small for a Mm four-year-old. But I still feel, like, maybe you would feel some kind of tightness in the sheet. Even if you didn't feel her at the bottom of the bed, you would feel something. Yes. Amanda is the thing that's kind of throwing me off. Because my theory would be, if I would have just had to say one 
would be that she maybe she did die accidentally Mm -hmm. and then the parents wanted to cover it up Mm -hmm. and they told the attorney general about it and that's how it was able to get away with it for that period of time and it's not like she stayed there for one night amanda stayed in the bed for a few nights and the the maids made the bed every morning that's the part that's throwing me off okay so maybe they told amanda about it and told her to sleep in the bed so that it could it seemed like normal you know so like it seemed like normal that nobody else found her yes yeah maybe but why would you cover like that? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> it's frustrating. But I just don't see how it's possible for nine days that at least the people that live in the house don't realize it. Yeah. Uh, but that, that still doesn't make sense, though, because then how do the... I'm saying the nannies weren't involved in it, but how the heck do they make the bed mm-hmm. for that long? I know. It's weird. Um, so, oh, so maybe they did know about it, but they think that Lizette had was the cause of it so that's why they want to reopen the case because they want lizette to get in trouble for it yeah maybe i don't know but that's so like you know this is me stretching so far but (laughs) i just i'm so badly obviously it'd be better if it was an accident but i so badly want it to not be just because i think it's not so much that i'm just stretching to put any theory into it I'm going to keep my eyes open, too, for any interviews that come out with Lizette. Little yeah. Lizette, because I think it would be really interesting to hear her side of it. I 100%. I want to hear what she has to say. Because she was in the house. Yeah. If something went down, she would have seen it, even yes. if she was only seven. That's, seven is old enough to remember that. 100%. Seven is old enough to remember and to, like, comprehend what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let us know if you have any other theories I didn't get to. And just, yeah, this is a crazy case. Yes, and tell us which one you agree with. Yeah, If definitely. you think it's an accident strongly, if you think it, was, it wasn't it was an accident, a missing person, however you see it, like, let me know which one you agree with. Yes. And we'll also put up an Instagram poll um, whether you to vote whether you think it was an accident or not, just so that we can interact with you guys more and hear your side of it. Hey, queens. Welcome back to the conspiracy half of the episode this week. Today, I'm going to be talking about something that may have started out as a conspiracy theory, but turned into one of the biggest sports scandals in history. Mm. I'm going to be talking about the 1919 World Series, which became known as the Black Box Scandal. Had you ever heard of this before I mentioned it? Uh, I mean, I don't know anything about it. I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. So, the 1919 World Series was between the American League champions Chicago White Sox and the National League champion Cincinnati Reds. Before I get into the scandal, I'm going to be talking about the games and the series itself. Unlike now, when the World Series is a best of seven, the World Series for this year and only three other years was a best of nine series. Which, can you imagine how exhausting that would be Mm. for the pitchers? Yeah. This was done for primarily financial reasons, but has not been done since 1921. So it happened the three years after, basically, and that was it. The White Sox won three games in the series with the Reds ultimately winning the series in Game 8 with five wins. Although they may have lost, the scandal circulated around the Chicago White Sox. Now, although this is the main scandal that set everything off, it is well known that gamblers for years had been interfering with baseball and just other professional sports at the time. At this time, however, baseball was definitely the primary sport that people watched it just honestly throughout the 1900s until football really took off Mm -hmm. this was the main sport for american pastime so a large part of this was due to the unfair work pay and trading conditions that players faced at the time this time the players did not have a union and there was no commissioner to oversee the rules the white Sox owner at the time was charles comiskey a former player that was notoriously not good to his players. He underpaid them, and players could not get out of their teams at the time without the permission of the owner. It's crazy considering now they get paid, like, 
300 million to do nothing. It's absolutely insane how much some of these people make. Like, mm-hmm. Mookie Betts mm-hmm. makes so much money. It's insane. It is. But, I mean, I guess my argument for it when people... I mean, don't get me wrong. They should not be making that much money. But my argument for it is baseball makes so much money. And mm. without the players, baseball's nothing. So they should be getting most of the revenue compared to other people. Yeah. But still, but in no world lot, should they yeah. be making that amount of money. So... Now, although this was common throughout the league to underpay your, you know, players, the White Sox at the time were widely considered one of, if not the best teams in the league, and therefore their players should have been compensated for their high level of play. It is also worth noting that there was a huge divide in the locker room of the White Sox, with the old school players, which they got nicknamed the Clean Sox, and the new players rarely communicating with each other. They did have one thing in common, though, and that was a mutual hate for Comiskey. The player that served as the ringleader and appeared to have been the initial contact for the gamblers was first baseman Charles Arnold Gandel, but everyone called him Chick, okay? He initially met with gambler Joseph Sport, was his nickname, Sullivan. Although Chick was initially hesitant, he did ultimately agree. However, he obviously needed several players to be in on the scheme if he was going to throw the World Series. If he plays poorly, that doesn't mean the whole team's going to yeah. lose. Chick held a meeting in his hotel room at the Ansonia Hotel in New York City with people that he already knew wanted to be in on it and anyone else who was interested in listening. Ultimately, everyone besides player Buck Weaver that attended the meeting accepted their part of the money and agreed to the deal. I read different numbers in different places, but the payout appears to have been $100,000 that the players would split amongst themselves. Now, this may sound very low, but considering the huge difference between what baseball players are played now in comparison to then, and how $100 then is a much, much, much larger figure now when you consider inflation, this was definitely a large payout for the players. How many were involved? By the end of it, it's eight of them that ended up getting in trouble for it. Okay. It varies on if there were more that maybe knew about it besides those eight. And people got different amounts of money. They didn't really split it as evenly as they were supposed to. But eight people are the ones that initially ended up getting in trouble for it. Now, the initial players that participated ended up adding more as time got closer to the series. Infielder Fred McMullen overheard a conversation about it in the clubhouse and demanded to be included or he would tell authorities about the scheme. And the thing is, he was not initially included because... He was not a good player, and they knew that he was not going to be in the series much, so what's the point in paying him if his play... He might not even play in those series. Also, outfielder, and possibly the best player on the team, and one of the best players in baseball at the time, was Shoeless Joe Jackson. Obviously, Shoeless is his nickname. (laughs) Other players have noted that he never attended any of the meetings regarding the scandal, and that they only used his name for more credibility with gamblers. Comiskey refused to meet with Jackson after he decided he wanted to speak up about what was going on. Also, the attorney that worked for the team during the trial, Alfred Austrian, met with Jackson before the trial occurred, which is illegal, basically got him drunk so that he can get a confession out of him, and had him sign a waiver to be immune from prosecution when Jackson was nearly illiterate, so he would not be able to read the contract he was signing. Hmm. So... His real involvement in the scandal is questionable at best. Yeah. But from what I read, he shouldn't be receiving the punishments that he's been getting. Now, before the series started, people began to become suspicious. The White Sox were heavy favorites leading up to the series. 
However, since the players were shopping their deal around to as many people with money as possible, and as news of this spread amongst gamblers, the Reds suddenly became the, became the favorite. When the first game began, Eddie Sakat, the starting pitcher for the White Sox, hit batter Maury Rath, which was supposedly a signal to the gamblers that the fix was in fact happening. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, is so smart. Cool. Yeah, this how they got away with it for as long as they did really blows my mind. Now, Chicago ended up losing the first game 9-1 to in a terrible game, specifically by the pitcher. Now, it is weird to me that they would blow the first game by this much because you don't want to make it that obvious. Wait, the pitcher was involved, right? Yes, he okay. was one of the people that were involved in okay. it. So it is odd to me that the first game you would blow out, and later on some of the players that were indicted in it say that they weren't going supposed to blow the first game, and that was their way of showing the gamblers that they did not want the deal to actually happen. But as we go on, we'll see that odds are that they were involved in the scandal. They then lost the second game 4-2, to two, with pitcher Lefty Williams also having an uncharacteristically bad day. Hmm. This only added fuel to the fire that the fix was going on. However, once the series got to 4-1 in favor of the Reds, many of the White Sox players began to question their actions. Years later, many say that they never actually tried to lose throughout the series because they were suspicious that their payments were not going to be followed through. The initial agreement for payment was that the players would receive part of their payment after each of their losses. However, by Game 5, they had not received any of their payments. This led to the White Sox winning back-to-back games. Or, again, this is what they claim, that they called it off at that point because they hadn't received their money. However, odds are it was that they couldn't have just got swept because that would look really bad. However, there are reports that White Sox players received threats against themselves and their families as gamblers and possibly the organized crime members that were likely involved in the scandal caught on to what the players were trying to do. Ultimately, after losing Game 8, the White Sox lost the series and the Reds won their first World Series. Despite stronger play in the second half of the series, people continued to question the legitimacy of the series. Kaminsky, the owner of the White Sox, stated that he believed that his players played to their fullest potential. However, many believe that he may have had an idea that something like this may happen, Hmm. and he ignored it and tried to bury the story in order to save face for himself and his business dealings with the team. So even if he wasn't involved with the initial engaging of the scandal, if he knew about it, he wanted to cover it up because obviously people would look bad on his team and he owes it. He wants us to do well financially. Now, despite the rumors, nothing concrete surfaced until evidence of a game being fixed between the Cubs and the Phillies surfaced the following year. So the investigation didn't happen until they started investigating another game. This led to a return of investigating the World Series from the year prior. By 1920, several of the players began to make confessions, including Sakat, Jackson, Williams, and center fielder Oscar Felsch. These men and Chick Gandel, the initial person that initiated the scandal, shortstop Swade Risberg and McMullen were charged with conspiracy, and their trial took place during the summer of 1921. However, right before the trial began, key paperwork and evidence vanished, including several of the players' official confessions. Hmm. Many believe this to be a cover-up by Kaminsky and Arnold Rothstein. Now, Rothstein was the kingpin of the Jewish mob in New York City at the time, and was in charge of much of the gambling that took place in the city. 
It is widely believed, although he has denied consistently until he died, he said that he had no part in it, which, come on. <laughs> is widely believed to have been the banker and money behind the scandal. That makes sense. 100%. If a scandal that big was happening in the city that he was basically in charge of, he would have known about it. And he is believed to be the one that was supposed to pay off the players. Hmm. It's also worth noting that years later, the missing confessions were magically located in the possession of Kaminsky's lawyer during the time. (laughs) So, oh, he just happened to find them after they weren't needed any longer. The two players whose confessions were lost recanted their confessions after it magically disappeared, and the lack of evidence resulted in all the players being deemed not guilty. Hmm. However, despite being not guilty, they faced several baseball-related consequences. After the events, baseball decided to appoint a commissioner. The new commissioner, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, a respective judge and a well-known baseball fan, placed all eight players from the scandal on an ineligible list that prevented them from playing for any other organization. Also, some believe that this brought a curse to the franchise, as the White Sox did not win another World Series until 2005. Hmm. That is a That's long time. That's a long time. time. 1919 to 2005. That's a lot. It's almost a century. I'm pretty sure besides the Cubs who went, I'm pretty sure the 100 and whatever years, yeah. which can you sink and imagine, before they won another World Series, I'm pretty sure that's probably the longest one that there's been. Now, in 1956, Chick gave an interview to Sports Illustrated in which he maintained their innocence. He did recognize that there was an initial plan for the scandal, but that by the time the series came around, all players involved had decided against it. All players involved are also banned from entering the Hall of Fame, which is especially questionable for Jackson, as he would certainly make it in just based off of his statistics and baseball ability. So he's the one I feel the most bad for, because he did try to report it. Oh, he did? Yeah, he tried to report it to... I mean, there wasn't a commissioner, so he couldn't report it to a authority figure, but he tried to report it to Kaminsky, but Kaminsky refused to meet with mm. him, which makes me think even more that Kaminsky definitely knew about it I before so. it was happening. So he's the one I definitely feel the most bad for because he was a very well-respected figure in baseball at the time, and mm. now he can't be in the Hall of Fame. I also just, because of everything that happened recently with the Astros... I do wonder if this is really the biggest sports scandal anymore because the stuff with the Astros was yeah. absolutely insane. And although it wasn't rigged officially, nobody was throwing it, it was definitely cheated into winning. So I, I think it's an interesting time in comparison to make between the scandals that were going on in sports that are still happening to this day now. So I'm just going to end it from with a quote from Chick who, like I said, maintained his innocence and the rest of his players' innocence. And most of the players on the White Sox at the time that were not involved with the scandal, they still appeared to be friendly and respect the other members that were involved with the scandal. So internally, they were still friendly with each other, yes. So, and Chick does speak for everyone when he said that everyone should be considered innocent. He said in an interview in 1969 that I'm going to my grave with a clear conscience. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Tune in every Friday for more mystery and madness. Bye, queens.